This week's show brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, an organization that I've been plugged into for, gosh, over 15 years now. From the Alaskan wilderness to the Atlantic Flyway, across America's Great Plains, and down the Mississippi Delta, Ducks Unlimited has been leading the way in wetlands conservation since 1937. The DU family has ensured the protection of over 16 million acres of waterfowl habitat. Think about that. So, come join us. You too can carry on DU's conservation legacy. Visit ducks.org to find your local event and join our volunteer team, Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. This week's podcast also brought to you by Kent Cartridge and the hard-hitting Fast Steel Plus, the latest in Kent's long-standing lineup of waterfowl innovation when it comes to shot shells. Do your four-legged friend a favor and ditch the cripples by picking up a box of Fast Steel Plus available at your local retailer. I can't be without her I hoped I'd never live to see her casket lined with lace And she deserves to thrive on this earth a little longer If you need another worker, you can take me in her place hey. Good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome, everybody, into episode 714 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show Presented by Mossberg Firearms Thank you so much for being here today it is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies, so appreciate you dropping by. Uh, we've got a good one lined up for you today, and I'll tell you all about it shortly, but man, what a dump. Taylor Swift won the Super Bowl, and uh, her and Mr. Pfizer, Travis Kelsey, probably get married and live happily ever after, right? Likely give the uh, beer shotgunning cool Uncle Jason uh, lots of little nieces and nephews, right? <laughs> no, this TMZ romance, uh, we all know where it ends. And she'll have a record titled 87 that comes out in a couple years. It'll be all about their breakup uh, because everybody knows she can't keep a man. Uh, if that offends you, sorry. Uh, that's what history says, and history usually repeats itself. So either... Uh, wait, there's one common denominator and it's, it's her with her relationships, <laughs> but thankfully it's all in the rear view mirror now and they'll be broken up before the start of next season. And we won't have to see Taylor Swift ever again at a football game. My hope anyway. Uh, what are we doing today? You know what to do. I'll pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire here. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And uh, joining us here momentarily is Rachel Carey. I uh, had the pleasure of visiting with Rachel at the SCI convention in Nashville. Rachel lives uh, a very fascinating life, uh, hails from the United Kingdom, is well known for her love of uh, shotgunning and upland hunting over there, lives a very from-field-to-table lifestyle and uh, we're going to talk all about that, talk about her cookbook, and uh, and also big game hunting culture in the UK, some of which I, I knew nothing about. I thought it all took place on estates behind you know uh, gates and was just for the very affluent, but with deer numbers on a uh, historic rise in much of the UK, farmers are not really enjoying the experience with these uh, deer and what deer species i don't know are they native are they introduced lots to get into with rachel coming up here in just a bit 
And then at the bottom of the hour, we've got a conservation success story out of Louisiana regarding black bear recovery and the delisting of Louisiana black bears. They will have their first season in, I think, over four decades this fall. So we'll check in with SEI Foundation large carnivore lead, Maria Davidson. And I believe Maria is bringing a friend in the form of landowner Levi Madden, whom she's known for years and years as she uh, worked with the Madden family on black bear recovery. as They're, they're landowners. Uh, so Levi will be here to share his own uh, personal testimony, you know, growing up with and, and living with these bears on their hunting properties. Uh, so fascinating stuff and a wonderful conservation success story to get into here at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. I'm certainly pumped about it, and I uh, hope you are looking forward to it as well. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway. How about a Havilon Peranta? I ran into uh, my old friends, Havilon, at the SCI show, and they loaded me up with knives for, for me and for you for giveaways because uh, they're like, here, just take all this stuff, put it in your suitcase, because then we don't have to pay for shipping. <laughs> so, uh, And we also re-signed uh, our contract with Havilon, so uh, that was cool as well. I've been working with Havilon for a long time, and they always take care of me and subsequently offer lots of great stuff for you guys in the form of product giveaways. So uh, a Havilon Peranta, and we'll throw in some extra blades, like I think 10 extra blades uh, as well. And uh, I've got a Havilon cap and T-shirt. So if you would like to uh, throw your hat in the ring for a chance to win the Havilon prize pack, just email the word knife. That's knife, probably the most confusing spelling in the English language because it should be knife, but uh, just knife or knife, whatever, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And you are entered into today's giveaway. All right, let's knock out a break. Up next, Rachel Carey joins us right here on SCF, Lone Star Outdoors Show. I can't forget the hardest part hasn't started yet. I don't want to be with this misery, make it gone. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat Compact Track Loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Cable Smith, welcome in everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. A little Brent Cobb for you today. Uh, this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by NUMA and the Pathfinder Pant. Whether I am at the deer lease, actively hunting, uh, filling feeders, stalking pigs with a thermal at night, or uh, maybe on the boat at the lake this time of year, still need to have a pair of pants as it's looking to be a little chilly out there. Or maybe you're uh, going to the bar for a drink after a day on the water. Whatever the case, the Pathfinder pant has you covered. It's stretchy. It's uh, comfortable in that crotch area, guys. You know, we've all 
worn some kind of pant where it's like the twig and berries just don't feel right and they don't feel comfortable. That's not the case with the Pathfinder pant. It, it's available in three colors, olive, charcoal, and uh, khaki, of course. And you can save 20% off not just the Pathfinder pant, but your entire NUMA order when you use that promo code LONESTAR20 at checkout. And that's at uh, numaoutdoors.com. And with that being said, let's bring on our first guest today. I had the chance to sit down with this gal at the recent SCI convention in Nashville. Fascinating lady. It is my pleasure to welcome Rachel Carey to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So have you been to SCI before? I have. This is my third time. Okay. I've done Reno and then obviously Nashville last year and Nashville again this year. So you took some time off because we went from Reno back to Vegas and now we're back to Nashville. Now we're in Nashville for the second year. Yes. Okay. Right on. And where are you from originally? I am from the north of England, so mm-hmm. Yorkshire. Okay. God's country. Uh-huh. Yeah, you said that I would need a translator, and I was like, no, if I can get through, wade through what South Africans are saying, I can certainly understand what you're saying. Well, people always mistake me from for being from South Africa or yeah. Australia. Yeah. I don't. I don't get. I don't get that vibe. There's one guy, one of the PHs in at John X Safaris, my friend Greg. The first time I went there, I was like, Greg, look at my face, and I'll say everything at half speed because I don't understand. You're speaking English, right? And he was like, Yeah, mate. And I was like, Okay, slow it down so I can understand what you're saying. Now I've now that I've been there quite a few times, I can I can kind of uh, understand what he's saying. But um, did you grow up hunting? I did, in a sense, not shooting guns or rifles. So my dad used to fly a Harris Hawk, mm. and I used to have ferrets. So we would take the ferrets, and I'd put them down the rabbit holes, uh-huh. and then the ferrets basically flush the rabbits out, and the hawk swoops down, gets the rabbits. You go over, you dispatch the rabbit. How primitive is that? That's awesome. Yeah. I've uh, I've never... Well, I didn't know people had ferrets to do that, but... I've done like uh, falcon hunts for waterfowl. Nice. Uh, not me personally, but tagged along, you know. Uh, it's always cool to see the birds of prey. And uh, when you have that relationship, one guy that I just talked to, he um, he uses pointers to flush quail. And then his uh, he's just a goshawk to catch the quail out of the air. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing birds. The ferrets. Um, they never like said, see you later. We like it down here better. No. So ordinarily ferrets are working animals kind of kept outside, but because I was so young and absolutely obsessed with animals and dad used to make a joke that I could train anything. So my ferrets were probably tamer than the the ordinary kind of gnarly uh-huh. ferrets, working ferrets. Interesting. My mum used to have to come and check my bed when I was small because I used to take all of my animals into my room and kind of she'd find a, a ferret curled up on my pillow. <laughs> but didn't you say you were a vegan at an early age? Vegetarian. Okay. Yeah. Vegans probably didn't exist when we were kids. No, I think I feel like that's a new, a yeah. new thing. Yeah. Yeah, vegetarian. It was. I was probably eight nine years old uh-huh. and it was right at the advent of when kind of animal activists were going undercover in abattoirs and mm. doing all the kind of factory farming undercover mm-hmm. so you'd go to the local town with mum shopping 
and there'd be some guy, you know, at the table with these absolutely horrific images of animals. Oh yeah, trying to houses. make an impression on you. Yeah, and, and it worked. It, it <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, it did. But I suppose that just goes to show how impressionable people are. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was a vegetarian, and Dad kind of took me hunting. And I think because I loved animals so much, the fact that he sold it to me through, hey, you, you know, you have these ferrets, we have this hawk, they need to eat, they eat rabbits. Mm. And I think watching rabbits in, you know, in the wild and I couldn't relate that to the factory farming conditions that I'd seen. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was much nicer, more acceptable. So I would eat the rabbits. Okay. And does explain how hunting works in the UK. I'm under the impression that most of it's done on private land, uh, game preserves. Is that true? Yeah, we don't really have um, kind of public land hunting in the UK. The estates are privately owned, farmlands obviously privately owned. So if, for example, you want to go and um, shoot pigeons, for example, which is an agricultural pest, you would just go and see the farmer, knock on the farmer's door and ask him, you know, if you could have the permission, the hunting rights to hunt, mm. hunt on his land. What if he said, sure, for $100 a day, can you do that? No, I think, I, I think the farmers are more happy just to have someone controlling the pests for them. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, where I'm from in Texas, it would be, yeah, here's the price. Yeah. Yeah, sure, you can do it, but you know, yeah, you can go shoot some pigs, but it's going to cost you. So they're more interested in having you help them out. So well, that's good for you. But I, so, so it's not all like high fence um, hunting, and I'm assuming some of it is. No, but you, you just described something that anybody can go knock on a door. Yeah. So agricultural land, farmland, privately owned land, absolutely. The the farmers are more than happy for you to help them out. But if you're talking about driven pheasant shooting that mostly takes place on estates uh -huh. so the big old country english country houses that you see uh -huh. they'll have um you know a few thousand acres we gotta which, wear our tweed suits and do the whole yes, the pageantry and all that yes, stuff so very <laughs> traditional very uh -huh. traditional like a ralph Lauren advert I suppose. <laughs> um but yeah there's lots of those estates in the uk and uh -huh. i suppose it's a great way for them to maintain the estates and bring some revenue into the estate so if you want to do a like a driven pheasant hunt or a tower shoot or whatever is that something you can do by the day like here's the day fee or do you have to be a member of a club no you don't have to be a member of the club there are loads of sporting agents in the uk or the estates would sell the shooting themselves mm -hmm. there's actually a website in the uk called guns on pegs where you can find either an individual peg so i mean i don't know how much you know about driven shooting in the uk but you basically mm -hmm. you shoot eight guns mm -hmm. so you shoot eight pegs um, on a drive and you can either buy the full eight guns and obviously take friends or you can just buy an individual peg and go and shoot with you know meet, oh. meet new people and, okay. and shoot by yourself uh -huh. and they're using are, are they just throwing the birds up or are they using dogs or what, how does that work so the birds are released um in the spring uh-huh and they are left to roam wild out on the estate. We have gamekeepers who will basically go around the estate and have certain feeding points. There are game cover crops to basically try and keep the birds in that area. Mm -hmm. And then on the driven hunt day, we have beaters. 
So basically people, perhaps with dogs mm. and kids and everyone gets we involved. We call them beaters here too. Yeah, yeah you yeah, call yeah, yeah. Okay. For, for our pheasant hunts are more uh, like out in the, you know, sometimes CRP, public land, sometimes yeah. agriculture. But yeah, you have the beaters and the shooters. Yeah. Yeah. So the beaters on each drive, the beaters obviously um, would walk and push the birds mm -hmm. over the guns to the flushing point over the guns. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. And it's mostly pheasant? Pheasants, partridge. We do driven grouse in the UK as well. But grouse are not a reared bird. They're a wild bird. Huh. So it's a bit more difficult to kind of keep them. And it all depends on the surplus of the wild, wild grouse. So the landowners are investing money in you know providing good habitat for these birds yes do they practice predator control they do um th we've actually had a lot of success on grouse moors that are keepered for shooting um we have a few birds that are threatened in the uk uh -huh. curlew and a few wading birds um and hen harriers and a recent study by the game and wildlife conservation trust in the uk actually found that moors that were keepered for shooting had a higher a higher success rate for those birds um, than moors that weren't being keepered so the predator control that the keepers are providing are obviously doing mm -hmm. doing great for the conservation of those threatened birds interesting what about big game species and i don't know if what deer species are native to uh yorkshire um that area but is there still viable big game hunting opportunity? Yes, we have the highest population of deer right now in the UK that we've had, I think, for 100 years. Wow. We have such a high population of deer. Um, we have six species. We have roe deer, fallow deer, mm -hmm. red deer, seeker, Chinese water deer, and muntjac. And are any of those actually native? Uh, roe deer are native and... Well, everything, I suppose, was imported at some point. Right, but right. deer are native. Um, a, a lot of our, so, for example, Chinese water deer and muntjac, they were ornamental deer and broke out from one uh -huh. of these big fancy country houses that where someone had an ornamental deer garden. Sure. And they established themselves so well, um, but they're obviously an invasive species. Uh -huh. So they're, they're quite good fun hunts to go on. We have... Uh well, we have fallow deer and axis deer and psycho deer in Texas. Our axis deer do well, like free range. They've got same thing. They've gotten out at some point. And, but I shot a fallow deer. They're they're like four thousand dollars in Texas if you want to shoot one, right, on wow. private land. I went to South Africa, and this actually ties back into the UK. I forget the guy's name, but it was when England was. Um, had essentially, you know, was trying to take over South Africa, and, you know, colonial stuff. And the guy, oh, I should, Carl, my PH, he'd crucify me because we've talked about this guy's name before. But they didn't like the way the African venison tasted, so they brought fallow deer over. And now, all over the Eastern Cape, there's free-ranging fallow deer. Wow. And so we hunted them in the mountains. It was super cool. Uh, but, yeah, they were like, no, they were a little too snooty for, they didn't want the you know, the African game, so they brought their own over. And That's surprising because the Plains game, um, the the array of Plains game in Africa and the different tastes, no mm -hmm. no two Plains game taste the, taste the same, I don't think so. Well, he was wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fallow are not my favorite deer to, deer to eat in the, in the UK. Uh -huh. um, but I think the wonderful thing about having six species and they range quite 
different territories so you obviously have red stags in the highlands so that's a completely different hunt to then going down and shooting you know Chinese water deer and muntjac down in Woburn for example so it's different terrain different experience in is it the water deer or the muntjac that has the crazy teeth it's the Chinese water deer that have the fangs okay yeah Yeah. I that's uh (laughs) that'd be a cool one to to mount like get a European mount of and the the wonderful thing about Chinese water deer is you probably would be hard pressed not to shoot a gold medal out there. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. Does most of the deer hunting because you just said you'll have a really high deer population right now. Does that take place on like can you go on hey farmer John can I hunt your place or is that more like on a estate? No, that's absolutely a similar process to wanting to control pigeon pests the mm. the deer I, I don't want to call them a pest but yeah. they the numbers definitely do need controlling we have quite a high number of traf- road traffic collisions from deer in the uk mm-hmm. um so again farmers are quite happy to to give people the sporting rights to to hunt there and out of the six species that you guys have back home which one tastes the best <sighs> i do i do like roe deer uh-huh um, I don't know if that's biased because I have them locally to me, so I do do eat quite a bit of roe deer. Um, and Chinese water deer as well. They're good. Have a very different taste. Huh. Huh. Okay, so putting Chinese water deer on the list of things that I need to shoot and eat. Um, let's knock out a break. We'll come back, continue discussing the UK's hunting tradition as well as your cookbook, among other things. That segment brought to you by Stealth Cam and the Deceptor Cellular Camera. Data plans as cheap as $5 a month. And by the way, if you use HuntStand, you can literally sync up your trail camera with your HuntStand mapping application. It's super cool. You can find the Deceptor as well as StealthCam's entire lineup of trail cameras right there at StealthCam.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Experience a new world after dark with Armorsight's night vision and thermal optics. Precision meets adventure. Whether you're a hunter or explorer, make the night yours. Upgrade your vision now by visiting Armorsight.com for more information. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then 3 Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide Scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. Love me, the rider's wrong. Feel so good, love you a lot. Right here beside me is where you belong. I don't care. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back at SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today as we are still visiting with our new friend Rachel Carey. And we will get back into that discussion in just a sec. This segment, though, is proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics. I'm going to tell you about a way to uh, save big, like 35%, because EuroOptic has most of Vortex's SKUs, like spotting scopes, range finders, binos, and, of course, rifle scopes as well, uh, off. They're like 25% off right now. 
Plus, I've got the 10% off code for the show, which is just Lone Star 10. Stack them together, which they'll let you do, right? That's uh, that's amazing, first and foremost. They'll let you use my code on top of their discount. Uh, but that's going to save you like 30 to 35% off a new Vortex Optic. So whatever you want, check it out. You can find it at Euro Optic. Use my code. Stack it on their deep discounts. And boom, basically giving it away. <laughs> Um, and uh, you can find it all at eurooptic.com. With that being said, Rachel, thanks for sticking around. Are you are you legally allowed to sell wild game that you've hunted in the UK? We are. I know that you're not allowed in the states, no. but we are in the UK. Huh. Yeah, we have dedicated game dealers and who who will go out and and obviously harvest the deer and the pigeons and the pheasants and and then they sell to the public. That's really cool. I, I wish that we had that. I, I understand why we don't, but um, I'll put I'll, I'll give Hawaii as an example. They are overrun with axis deer, and Hawaii doesn't have any really other than birds, like no native mammals. I saw a mongoose running across the road. That's native to Africa, you know. <laughs> well, they brought the mongoose to control the rat population, which is not native. And then, but the problem was the mongoose hunt during the day and the rats are out at night so it didn't work oh no <laughs> so the mongoose just eat the birds but uh they have so many axis deer that they have paid they, they they're called eradicators they go out at night with thermals and they just shoot axis deer and they leave them there they don't oh. even eat it. well what is, i mean it sounds terrible right it's That's wasting, such a waste but legally they can't and what are you going to do everyone's like well you should call your buddy well yeah well, do you have 30 buddies for the pile of axis deer that you've you know stacked up there and then if they're not I mean, in places where it gets hot, it has to be right then. You have to come get the deer right now. It's not a, hey, come get it when it's a convenient thing. And if it's 3 in the morning, that's the same thing with feral hogs in Texas. Like, we shoot them, and I put a couple in the freezer every year. And then I, But if I shoot, let's say I average 30 pigs a year, and the rest of them just get left there. It's just not, it's not realistic to say, I'm going to gut this thing at 2.30 in the morning, and then you're going to come that's get it. That's such a shame. And do you think if you were allowed to sell wild game – in the states that would be different you'd have more of an incentive i think for the feral hogs from from where i'm from yes but because they carry um trichinosis and brucellosis we're not i mean that's the fear yeah. like if you trap them alive you can sell them and then most of that meat gets shipped over to france and in the united kingdom my understanding um our wild our wild boar meat uh, I don't know. Do you see wild boar from the U.S. on the on menus there? Well, I'm learning something new because we do have wild boar in the U.K. Uh -huh. and I didn't know that we possibly could be eating feral Texas hogs. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's what I, that's my understanding. Um, when I've talked and I've talked to the guy that runs cows on my deer lease, uh, he also is a pig buyer, and he says most of it gets shipped out across across the sea. Yeah the pond so do you ever do that do you ever sell venison i don't i'm i'm really lucky and i try to only go and hunt when the freezer is empty uh -huh. and i'm quite lucky to have a friend who manages deer for the national forestry commission in the uk so he always has the odd surplus deer so i'm quite lucky that he butchers and actually delivers that to me as well so uh -huh. get dot deer field to door delivery so you don't ever just go hunting just because you like even if the freezer's full you don't just like go i'm gonna go shoot a deer i'm gonna get a nice buck no i do and then then i will donate that one 
No, and, and I suppose it's difficult because I do absolutely love hunting and being outdoors. So, mm-hmm. But I do quite a bit of... I'm more of a shotgun shooter than yeah. a rifle shooter. So I spend far more time kind of shooting shotgun and controlling pigeons and shooting pheasants. So. Mm-hmm. Well, switching gears here just a little bit, as far as Europe goes, France has been in the news lately. Uh, they had introduced this anti... They call it a trophy bill, but... You've been to Africa. Uh, the Plains game that you would have hunted, that would have been illegal to bring back, you know, Cape Horns, all of it. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to play out, but France has a million hunters, uh, and so the most hunters in Europe. And my fear would be that if France goes, then, you know, is the UK going to fall in line and will Spain fall in line? And is it, you know, what's the domino effect like? So we had this, we had the similar issue a few years ago, uh-huh. and I'd actually just... Um, arrived back from BC where I'd taken a bull moose and it was absolute dream hunt you know it was like the epitome of my my bucket list and um, the trophy importation ban was looming they were actually debating it in parliament and I was worried at that point am I going to get my moose home am I going to be able to import trophies in the future they didn't pass the bill in the UK whether or not they will follow through if France passes it I'm crossing my fingers that obviously that doesn't happen and Mm -hmm. French hunters unite and fight hard enough Um, but luckily we had the IUCN trophy hunting report out at a similar time and thankfully the MPs actually paid attention to the data from that where IUCN and all of the obviously the conservation and nature um, authorities and even WWF kind of came forward and said no trophy hunting you know is saving a lot of wildlife we we absolutely need trophy tourism so we were lucky there fingers crossed it doesn't happen Um, I'll Mm. be trying to help help the fight if you know if it does that's the term trophy, and we I've, I've mentioned this on the show many times, it, it didn't always have a negative stigma attached to it. It used to be something that meant uh, you, you you hunted the mature male of a species, right? Yes. And there's, you should take pride in that. But now it's this this dirty word that the antis have, you know, turned it into something that it's really not what it's about at all. And so now it's like, do we distance from this term trophy? I don't know. I don't think we really can. I think the we have to just educate people on what that really means and what it's always meant. I think that's the key word, education. And interestingly, FACE, which is the European hunting um, kind of organisation, they just did a study, didn't include the UK, but they actually found that 23%, um, only 23% of the population were actually against trophies. And, and weren't you know happy with hunters kind of bringing trophies and hunting for trophies mm. so that's a, I think quite a surprisingly low number compared to what I think we thought were opposed to trophies so or what the media would try to portray absolutely yes yeah um, well you have a large social media following and we were talking with uh, with our mutual friend Michael Hunter earlier he introduced me to you and you kind of told me what, what you're known for uh, for, for well, for two things in the kitchen, right, and, uh, and maybe shotgunning as well. But then, as the uh, the gal that took a, a pita model uh, hunting, yes, and kind of changed her mind. Talk about that. Yeah, the uh, the mouthy Yorkshire girl who likes to fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
it didn't just start with the Peter model. It started a few years ago um, when I first kind of started deer stalking because no one in my family hunts, so dad or no one kind of introduced me to this. And I post, or someone posted a photo online of me. I think it was the deer stalking guide that I'd been out with. And the backlash from that photo was just incredible. And back then, I'd never kind of been faced with anything like that before, online abuse. And so I didn't really know how to tackle it. And I thought, well, you can't reply to every single comment that, you know, these Mm -hmm. aunties are making on this post. So I thought, okay, I'm going to write an open letter and I'm going to explain my ethos around hunting, why I enjoy it, you know, the whole food part of it. And so I wrote an open letter and it actually went viral. So I think it was shared. I mean, th- we're talking kind of 15 years ago, so that's it, it was a lot of shares back then. Right. Um, you know, it's like shared 12,000 times or something on Facebook around 15 the world. 15 years ago, I was just starting my business, starting this, and I wasn't on social media. And my friends were like, oh, you, you got to get a Facebook page. And I was like, <laughs> y'all are losers. I'm not getting on social media. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and look now, at us now. <laughs> yeah, look at us now. Yeah, and it, and... I've always loved writing Uh from being young. I loved writing. So I think that was where I found my kind of purpose, my, my forte, something I was good at. And it kind of spun off from there. Um, And I made a few similar posts over the years, you know, just writing and kind of advocating for hunting and why we do it, you know, why it's good for animals and conservation. And I was approached by a few TV production companies over the years but none of the opportunities felt quite right. They, I didn't feel like these people would portray hunting in, in the light that I would want. So when the Jodie Marsh, um, which is the Peter model, mm-hmm. I shouldn't really, I should give her more respect than that. I shouldn't just call her a Peter model because she's actually, um, she's a documentary maker in the UK. She she started off life as a reality TV star, but then kind of went on to other things. Mm-hmm. And she now owns and runs an animal sanctuary. So she's, hats off to her. Um, but the production company approached me and I liked the sound of the format because I liked the idea of actually spending time, us two spending time, not just kind of me sat in front of a camera where they could edit it. You can't edit a relationship. Right. So the they pitched it to me. I basically spend a week with her and I take her into my world. And when I went to meet the production company, the first thing that when I walked into the director's office, he had trophies all over his wall. So I thought, this feels good. I don't think they're going to screw me over here. Yeah. So we did the show and um, yeah, I basically took her into my world, took a pigeon shooting um, and I made sure I brought other people into it. So the farmer and he was, you know, explaining, you know, this is your food. You know, these pigeons do tens of thousands of pounds worth of damage to crops, which drives up food prices. Mm-hmm. So really just your an edu- Your vegan food. The vegetarian food, exactly, yeah. exactly that. And just a really educational kind of tour of, of you know, what I do. Um, I introduced her to a good friend of mine, Mike Robinson, who's actually here at the show. Mike's total passionate foodie. He manages a hell of a lot of, like thousands of acres um, in the UK for deer. And all of those deer go straight into his restaurants. He has absolutely amazing restaurants. So I introduced her to Mike. 
I took her home to meet my dad and my family and I, I cooked, you know, fallow deer and the week culminated into me actually taking her on a deer hunt. She obviously didn't shoot. Um, and I shot a muntjac. And the week started with Jodie. I'm not going to swear, but the worst swear, there was a lot of cuss words in there. You know, she was like, I hate this girl. You know, she's a murderer. Oh, and um, and then at the end of the week, it ended up in her and I hugging and she cried and she said, I never thought I would not only, you know, agree with a hunter, but actually like you and want to be your friend. And oh. and she just, she got it. And I have so much respect because it was so brave of her because obviously a huge volume of her following are vegans, mm -hmm. aunties, animal rights activists. And she was actually very vocal after the show and said, you know, guys, what hunters are doing are conserving animals. It's much more kind of way to, to get meat than, you know, going to the supermarket and, you know, you don't know how it's lived, how it's how it's been slaughtered. And yeah, so it was um, that didn't play well to her audience, I'm sure. So, it, yeah, it was courageous. It didn't. But she's she's a very strong minded person. She's a strong person. And she she stood up for herself and said, look, you know, you, you got to go where the facts are. Mm -hmm. And she said, I did not know that this was going to going to go this way. And it has. And. I went and hats off to her because a lot of celebrities are vocal about hunting, but I've never seen any of them actually get off the backsides and out of the, you know, the London office and actually go out there like she did and find out firsthand. So mm -hmm. massive respect. Imagine a world where we actually lived and, you know, formed our, our ideologies based on facts yes, <laughs> instead of emotions, Yeah, <laughs> which is what she was doing. And then she joined us in the realm of yeah. facts, you know? And she actually apologized and said, you know, I've been so ignorant. And I mean, it even culminated in us then having a chat about Africa and African hunting and and taking the same conservation model over there. And it was, um, I've got to say, it's probably one of the scariest things that I've ever done. But I was so proud. And I think I spent probably an hour crying on the way home after we finished filming the, you know, I was uh -huh. probably the proudest thing I've ever done. So is is that available online anywhere? Can people still watch that? You can get it on Amazon, I think. Okay. Yeah. You and what's can it called? It's called Jodie Goes Hunting. Okay. So she did a series of documentaries covering different controversial topics mm -hmm. within that documentary series. And the hunting was the last one. Gotcha. Okay, uh, Rachel, let's take a break here. We'll come back and uh, finally <laughs> we'll get into your book and some wild game recipes as well. That segment was proudly brought to you by John X Safaris. The date is booked for 2025 and 26. Sorry, 2024 is full. Can't join me on that one. But uh, if you're interested in, I think it's June of 25 and July of 26. Uh, if you want to join me on the safari of a lifetime, just shoot me an email, LoneStarOutdoorShow at gmail.com. I'll get you all the details and get you sorted out on booking your South African safari with my good friends over at John X. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. And they get by. They get by. We all get by. By the grace of God, we all get by. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. 
It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Dirt under my nails Dirt under my boots Well, you can say this dirt goes back before my grandpa's roots I should have stayed in school instead of running down this dream But that's how it goes with guys like me Guys Like Me, the name of that one from the Dirt Drifters, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg. Cable Smith here with you. We're still visiting with Rachel Carey, uh, and we will continue that conversation in just a sec. This segment, though, brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you haven't already, check out their backyard barbecue lineup. They've got everything from portable tailgate grills, great for uh, football games or deer camp, to large-scale smokers and pellet grills. Uh, so whatever you need, they've got you covered. You can find their entire barbecue lineup at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right, let's get back into our conversation with Rachel Carey. Talk about your cookbook. And I, I, you, don't, you don't have one here. You already sold them all. You should have brought more. You sold a lot more of them. <laughs> uh, when did you release that? What, what is it called? It's called Game and Gatherings. Uh-huh. And I released that back in 2019. Okay. And it was just what I found over the years doing my advocate um, work for for shooting and hunting. Food is a universal language, so it's a really easy way to kind of to to sell hunting and explain. And and I thought it was a nice legacy to leave and a way to kind of culminate my food journey and to say I think it's an interesting story to say Hey, I used to be a vegetarian, mm-hmm. but this is you know this is what I eat and. And I was quite surprised in the UK how many, how underappreciated game game meat was. And I started posting a few game dishes online, mm-hmm. Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> and I was amazed at how many people were asking me for recipes. And I'm thinking, you know, this is me just busy, full-time working mom coming home, you know, and just basically substituting chicken for pheasant mm-hmm. or beef for venison. So I just thought it was a nice way to to bring game into a modern light and give it some good PR. Yeah. So what is like a a unique recipe to your region? In Yorkshire. Yorkshire puddings. Puddings, okay. (laughs) Yorkshire puddings, yeah. And so what's in that? It's basically eggs, flour, water, and you just mix it up into a batter. Where's the meat? Well, there is no meat. It's, it's traditionally a pudding that you would have with a roast dinner. Okay. So roast beef or chicken or, in my case, venison or pheasant. Uh-huh. So what is your favorite wild game to work with then? It's not strictly a wild game meat, but I absolutely love pigeon. Mm-hmm. Wood pigeon in the UK, to me, I call it the fillet steak of the skies. It's such an... And I find it's an easy bird to introduce people who don't really eat meat... Uh, eat game um it's an easy bird to pluck and it's 
flavorful it's abundant it's easy to get hold of it's quite a cheap game meat to get hold of um so pigeon for me but i also love pheasant okay. i shoot a lot of pheasants in the uk so i've always got quite quite a yeah quite a stack of those so people and even american hunters think y'all are nuts for eating pigeon <laughs> You know that? But when they think about pigeons, they think when they go to London and, you know, they see these big gnarly pigeons of, you know, well, like tattoos and smoking. Nashville, <laughs> there's the same pigeons here that yeah. are in London. So it's not the feral pigeons, you know, that are walking around city centres eating tab City ends. rats. Yeah, yeah, the city uh, rats. Rats, what are they, what do they call them? Sky rats. Yeah, sky rats. No, these are wood pigeon and they are out there in, you know, woodlands living a wild kind of... Squab. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, a young pigeon. Oh, it is? Yeah. See, I didn't even know. Squab. I just thought... That was a yeah. British term for for pigeon. No, that's a young pigeon. Do they taste squab. better than an old pigeon? Uh, n- not much meat on them, though. But yeah, they are quite milder. Huh. Because I like lamb. I don't know if I... It, I don't know if people like eat sheep. It's always lamb. Lamb's pretty good. Yes. Or veal, you know. Interesting. So I shoot pigeon here, back home in Texas. But it's just like a byproduct of when I'm dove hunting. And pigeons will fly around. And then I'll serve them. And people are like, why is this dove twice the size of the other ones? <laughs> and I don't tell them. <laughs> they, don't have, they don't know. It doesn't taste any different. Yeah, as long as it tastes okay. Yeah, it doesn't taste bad. <laughs> and those are, the, those are the city rats. The, you know, the feral pigeons. Yes. Uh-huh. Rock doves. I, I, I used to have a nickname, um, Racy Rach, because when I first started shooting... Um, a friend of mine invited me pigeon shooting and we shoot them over decoys and um, I didn't really know the difference back then and this um, these feral pigeons kept going around but my friend called them racing pigeons they weren't racing pigeons they weren't some you know even if pigeon were, fanciers <laughs> pride and joy um, but I was shooting the feral pigeons no. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so I used to uh, yeah I got got the nickname racy rage for shooting the not racing pigeons but the ferals uh-huh. but they look similar um, so you didn't bring the copy of the book, but I, the cover, were you holding a rabbits? Yes. So what's a good, what's your favorite rabbit recipe? I think that's an underappreciated, uh, wild game. So I have to go, um, with my heart on this and it's where I started. So going back to the very beginning, um, with the ferrets and the hawk. So dad and I would come back with a game bag full of rabbits and I'd, um, have a little, tree stump that my dad made me as my butcher's block and I'd butcher the rabbits and feed some to the ferrets, some to the hawk and then the surplus I'd take and mum used to make an absolutely incredible rabbit stew and I put that in my book Really, and it's still to this day just it's such a homely simple you know take you back to grandma's home kind of recipe so that's my favourite that sounds delicious yeah like I think the m- I, I've only made rabbit a handful of times but usually it is like a braised preparation you know, yeah. slow cooked, fall off the bone, and it's nice. Yeah, and you should always soak it in salt water. Salt water the night before to brine yeah. it. Yes. Okay, right on. Um, what would you say is the thing that hunters do with their wild game that you just cringe at? Like, oof, don't don't do that. Mm. Everyone's got a pigeon popper recipe, right? <laughs> a dove popper. Is that a big thing back home for you? But that's actually in my book because I love them. Uh-huh. I love jalapenos. So, oh, yeah. um, that's cringe. like right up passage in Texas. That's yeah, yeah, I love them. But people seem to um, 
I saw a few people making comments about how everyone's got a Dove Popper recipe. Well, good, because it's awesome. Yeah, Bacon, I agree. wild game, cream cheese, jalapeno, you can't beat that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I think in the UK, uh, um, one thing that prompted me to write this book, I kind of got fed up with people hiding game in mm. dishes. I felt like everyone was trying to hide that it was game. You know, it was all this, you know hanging it for days on end and giving it that really gamey taste and then hiding it in you know these really rich sauces um and i personally and i'm just going to say it's unpopular opinion i personally don't hang my game for very long if at all i'm just uh, get it home get it butchered get it in the fridge and you know have mm. pheasant fajitas the the day after sure sure uh when i write my cookbook it's going to be mostly Tex-Mex. That's what, I mean, yeah. I don't usually, when I pull something out of the freezer, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to make this Tex-Mex thing. That's just like where I live, and that's just like how it comes out most of the time. But uh, the thing that I'm going to say irks me the most is when people put their deer in a cooler and let it sit there in ice water for a week. And you take all of the blood, all of the iron, everything that makes it wild game, and you turn it into this soft, mushy, it's like trying to take the flavor out of it. And is that a thing in the U.S.? You actually oh, do it's that? It's a thing there? in Texas for sure, and I just don't get it. Like, they say, well, you got you to gotta get the blood out of it. Well, no, you don't. Like, when I cut into my venison backstrap, I want blood to be running out of it. Yeah. You know? That's what, I mean, it better be medium rare or my kids are going to be like, Dad, you burned it. Oh, medium rare is ruined. I like my blue. Oh, well, I'll eat that too. But yeah. uh, my wife would be like, eh, put that back in the skillet for me for another minute, you know. Um, but, that's, but either way, it's still bloody. I can't believe that's a thing over here. Yeah. You guys need to stop doing that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, and when I first started deer hunting, I didn't know any better. So, you know, I had my cooler in the driveway for like five days. And when the water would get red, I would like drain it and put more ice on it and just let it like, it's like what are we doing i'm imagining in in my mind i'm thinking because you guys your guys coolers are like you know huge mm -hmm. like a chest freezer our coolers are quite small we we've, we've only just got yeti in the uk oh, wow. so ours are tiny um and i'm just imagining in my head like this whole deer carcass kind of like something off a murder mystery scene <laughs> like po legs and animals no, no. poking okay. out it's it's a quarter deer Okay, so it's up, and you got the back straps and every all the neck meat and trimming and everything. It's just in this giant cooler, right? And that's you know you you got it out of the back of your truck. Now it's in your driveway, and you just put ice on it. And when it melts down, and you know you leave the plug undone, and then it just kind of drains on its own. And but you but it basically is just taking the flavor out of the meat. Yeah, this is gross. Yeah. You guys definitely need to stop I'm doing. I'm glad it. you agree. Yeah. Um, well, cool. What is your uh, what is your social media stuff? So I am Rachel Carey Hunting on Instagram. Uh -huh. I don't really operate a Facebook page. I just use my personal profile because you you can have your followers on that. Yeah, yeah. And um, my book, the link is in my bio on Instagram, but that's available from. And what the is fields. it called? One more time. It's called Game and Gatherings, Game and, and gathering. it's available from Field Sports Press. Awesome. Well, one of my favorite things about SCI is meeting new people from all over the world, 
Uh, it was very nice to visit with you and, and thanks for the, for the time today and safe travels back home. Thank you so much for having me on. Nice oh, to meet you too. Bucket list hunt. Anything, anywhere. Money's not an object. Well, I started quite high because the first animal I took in Africa was my Cape Buffalo. Oh, wow. And then I went to... That was the first animal you shot? Yeah, and that was the <laughs> moose and Cape Buffalo were the top of my bucket list and I've already done both. Uh -huh. So um, probably going to get laughed at for this, but I really, really, really love pigs and would really love a massive warthog. Warthog. And I chased them a few months ago in Africa and it just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, big warthog and a bison with a double rifle. It's nice. my, yeah, That'd my next awesome. big one. Well, come to Texas sometime. We don't have, actually, we do have some warthogs that somebody let out. They're starting <laughs> to show up in South Texas, but we have so many, oh my God, the amount of uh, feral hogs we have. No closed season. Yeah. I'm getting uh, for that. Well, thanks again. It was nice meeting you. Nice meeting you too. Thank you. So there she goes, the lovely Rachel Carey. That segment of the show brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the MC2SC Concealed Carry. It's a 9mm. It's what I've got on me at all times. And uh, actually, you might not know this, but the first gun Mossberg ever released way back in the 19 and teens, I think it was maybe 1919, uh, but it was a pistol. And then uh, they basically did rifles and shotguns for about 100 years and got back to their roots with the MC2SC, uh, compatible with Glock magazines as well. Coming up next, a conservation success story out of Louisiana. SCI Foundation large carnivore lead Maria Davidson and landowner Levi Madden join us right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Hey, this is Troy Landry from Swamp People, and thanks for listening to the Long Star Outdoor Show. When you get down the fiddle and you get down the bow, kick off your shoes and you throw them on the floor, dance in the kitchen till the morning light, Louisiana Saturday night. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Oh, Mel McDaniel, Louisiana Saturday night. Uh, which is a perfect segue because we're about to head to Louisiana with SCI Foundation Large Carnivore Program Lead, Maria Davidson, our old friend, and then her good buddy in the form of landowner, Louisiana landowner, Levi Madden. This segment, though, brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. We just wrapped up an amazing 2024 convention, and uh, the 2025 convention is already on the calendar, of course. Save the dates. It is January 22nd through the 26th of 2025. Once again, taking place in the Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. Hope to see you there. Make sure you save the date. For more info, head over to safariclub.org. Okay, well, let's bring him on right now. Maria Davidson making her return, and then uh, her good friend, Levi Madden. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having us. Good to be here. Maria, welcome back to the show. We uh, we recorded one here at SCI last year. It's like our anniversary. I know. Yeah, good times. 
Uh, and we're going to get right down to it today. And we are going to talk about black bear recovery in Louisiana. Um, and that's what you do, is you are the large carnivore. I might not get your title correct. but It's kind correct. of a long one. But for the SCI Foundation, you handle all the large <laughs> carnivore <laughs> stuff. Close yeah. enough. Yeah. Close enough. So you're our go-to for that. And we have some good news out of Louisiana. But you know how I feel about black bears in Texas. We had that. I mean. Oh, yeah. I, I don't really want them there. I mean, want them. I, I don't want to say that from like, as a conservationist, I don't want to say, I don't want bears in Texas. I don't want them on my deer lease. I'll tell you that. And I think most Texans feel the same way. Oh, I'm sure they do. They could live out like out west, away from me somewhere. In somebody else's backyard. Or in the piney woods where I don't have a deer lease because I've seen what they do to deer feeders and I don't know. It's it's like really like that catch-22 as a conservationist, right? It's like... Well, not for me, but... Right, okay. <laughs> I can see it being for somebody else. Or the average deer hunter. Would, would you want black bear on your deer lease? If you sure. Could, if you couldn't manage them. Oh, no, that's a different story. If you couldn't manage That's a different story. Okay. But, you know, that's part of the things that we're here to talk about, how bear hunting is an active part of bear management and should be. Right. You know, not only can it be, it should be an active part of bear management where, you know, bear populations can sustain a harvest. It's Mortality is the only way to control your bear population within parameters that, that the agency, whatever authority um, is out there, and the public. You know, I think that... You would be surprised at public acceptance of black bears or grizzly bears, for that matter, at how it really changes once you can hunt that species. Mm -hmm. That's that's been proven well, so yeah. time and again. So I needed to caveat what I was saying with here, cable. Here is the black bear headache, but here's the tag. Exactly. I'd be like, oh, I'm in. That would be exactly. Super cool. I want to be. I want to be part of managing that. And then, and then I would be fine with dealing with a little bit of inconvenience. And I'd be like, it's worth it. That's exactly what you see. And, and even if you don't necessarily draw a tag every mm -hmm. year, the knowing that you have the opportunity to put in for one changes everything. It, it really does change the social acceptance for bear populations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you know Levi? You know, it, Levi and I go way, way, way back, probably to when I first started bear work in Louisiana. I got a phone call from one of our region offices that said, you know, I need you to call this, this guy about, about bears. He's got bears on his property and doesn't like them, doesn't want them. And, <laughs> and, you know, can you talk to him? And I said, sure, I'll give him a call. And they said, no, 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 you, you really need to, to be careful with this guy. You know, he's, he's, you know, really powerful or whatever. You need to call him. And I'm like, no doubt. I'll call. Well, that was Levi's dad. Oh, wow. And I don't know how long ago that was. I think it was, I can age it to the, at about 21 or 22 years ago, somewhere in there. So I called, I called his dad and we visited for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Uh -huh. And I said, you know what, let me come out to your place. You know, I'm just going to talk to you. Do you like bears? It's going to take a while, but I'm just going to keep talking. And so I went out there and, and I invited him on a den visit. And we talked a lot about bear management and bear hunting. And you know what? We've been talking ever since. And he's easily one of the best supporters we have in North Louisiana. And, you know, this goes from him seeing the first bear on his property. And, you know, he's got an incredible piece of property in North Louisiana that they harvest super super nice bucks um to now he's got bears on there all the time i bet there's four collared females on on his piece of property now wow. and he's a huge huge supporter and wow. so levi started coming on den visits with me I, he might have been in high school maybe not middle school high school oh yeah he was just a young tot wow. 
and and he's not a young tot anymore. No, no. <laughs> so he got to see the whole evolution, which is it's weird to me. It's very um, symbolic because I see this going on across basically North America, where you've got these bear populations that drop to really perilous levels, mm-hmm. and and because of of you know management, you know by the different management authorities, they have risen. You know, they've all recovered, or many of them have recovered, and now it's time to implement a hunt to keep those numbers where they need to be. So this will be the first bear hunt in Louisiana in four decades, you said? Something like that? Yes, if my math is correct. The last one was in the 80s, and it was very, very, very small, and it was just down in Point Capete. So it was just in that upper Chafalaya population. So this is, is really um, symbolic. It's it's an amazing end to an endangered species story. It's, it's, it's a success story. Right. You know, just like oh, yeah. the alligator, just like the bald eagle. If you give them what they need, the populations recover. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened in Louisiana. And, you know, when it, they were first delisted in 2016, of course, the Fish and Wildlife Service was immediately sued. SCI intervened oh, in that. Imagine that. A- imagine <laughs> that. Shocker. So, you know, and they sued in D.C., so SCI intervened in that in that lawsuit, and we were victorious in, in the D.C. courts. They dismissed it without prejudice for lack of standing, and then the plaintiffs brought the lawsuit again in the Middle District in Louisiana, so in Baton Rouge, and we found out on Monday, so since we've been here in Nashville, we found out on Monday that we won that lawsuit as well. So oh, it's yeah. been celebrating all week, did the little happy dance. It's uh-huh. been great. That's that's wonderful. And so how, how is that hunt going to be facilitated? Is it a draw or like um, is it a landowner situation? It is a draw. So this first one they've decided to do, they basically kept it on the conservative side of conservative. So there is no way with the number of tags that they're talking about issuing, there's no way for them to get into trouble with sustainability. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no way. And so, like I always thought it should be, it's going to be 80% landowner driven. So landowners are going to be weighted to get the 80% of the tags, which is to me appropriate because they've had to live with the bears. And, right. you know, bears are not always easy to live with. Yeah, yeah. And so, Levi, are you, uh, what are the odds of you getting a tag, you think? Probably slim to none, probably. Really? <laughs> yeah. The The rumors going around for what I've heard now, I've been told that this could change, but the way that the you have to own 40 acres in the bear management unit, and Maria, correct me if I'm wrong, to put in for the draw, and it's not weighted on how many acres you own. So uh-huh. if you own 40 acres in the bear management unit where the hunt's taking place, you're eligible for the draw. And okay. I, and I think that's I think that's completely fair. That's the way it should be. You know, it shouldn't be. But so are you, does that put you into that category? I could, yes. Uh-huh. Now, this is where I would surprise a lot of people. Uh, I'm not sold that I'm going to put in and hunt them the first year just uh-huh. yet. Uh, we see a lot of bears on our property, and I enjoy seeing the bears, and they are – not docile they're obviously wild animals but they are i don't really consider it much of a challenge i guess yeah. as far as to i mean literally I, i'll i'll share a picture with you and you can use it for your art on the podcast episode mm-hmm. or whatever but we have a pretty big boar right behind our camp that's he's literally hangs out 200 yards behind our camp we've got a pecan orchard out there and the pecans are dropping 
they're out there eating under the pecan tree and i snuck huh. up 15 yards from him during deer season with my good camera and took some good pictures of him and stuff so wow yeah you know it's funny hunting and why you hunt is a very very personal oh, yeah. thing that you go through and and so what one person's fair chase is to them is not necessarily the other person's fair chase so well, everybody has to make their own personal decisions i don't know what the odds of getting like a an out-of-state tag are but i have no personal connection to that big boar so <laughs> <laughs> you know what they what they did do and i think that's a wise idea you know you might have folks like levi or his dad or his family whatever that that choose not to harvest a, a bear on their property um but they if if he wanted to draw a tag for that piece of property they can then transfer it to another hunter well, and you're going to have some landowners do that and i think that's fair i don't mm -hmm. see anything wrong with that sure can they they can sell it i don't know how they're going to end up working it in terms of policy wise mm -hmm. so it might be illegal to you might not legally be able to sell a tag but if you can transfer it free yeah you know you can say this this is but it's going to cost you x number of dollars so that the landowner derives a benefit right. from having the bears on their property which to me is is key to having them looked on favorably as opposed to being a nuisance well uh, i mean this is this transcends every continent every country like africa like well okay, these lions are killing my livestock. Well, but what about the financial benefit of someone coming in and paying a, a, a handsome sum of money to hunt that lion? And then you can now buy 10 cows or whatever Absolutely. it is, right? I mean, Absolutely. It, it, you know, it, it bear conflict transcends, you're right, across the globe. I had someone stop me this morning that said, can we talk about brown bears in Romania you know they've had 37 human fatalities in Romania in Romania I didn't I didn't realize that either I was like holy oh cow <laughs> I mean I I didn't can't say I even knew they had brown bears in Romania there you go there's your bit of information for the day and I was talking with some guys uh from Spain earlier today and they were talking about wolves in Switzerland being a big problem and I was like oh I yeah no you had wolves in Switzerland you know like, oh yeah I figured you guys had just shot them all out, and I guess at one point they maybe did, and they've come back, and now it's like they're protected. Just You're like, exactly just right. Just like our grizzlies in the lower 48, now we have a problem. You're exactly right. You know, it's funny. I've always thought, and I, I think it's bound to be true, and Levi, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the, the negative feelings associated with a protected species have an awful lot to do with they're negatively associated with the federal government. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't want the federal government telling them what they can and cannot do on their own property. And it, and it's difficult to tease those two apart. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's really hard to do. But once you remove that federal nexus and you say, you know what, you can put in for a tag. I mean, Levi's like, yeah, I don't know if mm -hmm. I want to do that or not. <laughs> and I'd I, I, I bet a cold beer that his dad isn't either. Yeah. I, you're probably right. I, I really hadn't asked him if he's going to put in for a tag. And he well, you have to ask him and then text me and let me know what he says. <laughs> I will. <laughs> so how does this impact my home state, do you think? You know, I, I don't really think it has much of an impact at all. The majority of the bears that move into East Texas are Arkansas bears. Okay. You know, and, and interestingly enough, there's a small area in Louisiana and Upper Washita, that that kind of area up there, those bears are coming into Louisiana out of Arkansas. Hmm. 
and those Louisiana guys and Louisiana landowners are not happy about it at all. They're doing lots and lots of whining, um, but that's that's a, a range expansion from that Felsenthal subpopulation. I don't really believe those are tensile bears at all, but the genetics will tell the story here shortly. Mm. But in terms of East Texas, I think those bears are going to come out of Arkansas, and I think that's really kind of what you've seen. You're going to have dispersing animals in East Texas for a long, 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 long time. Mm-hmm. That West Texas population may finally get some, you know, footing and take off, but it's the densities are pretty low there too. Yeah. But you'll have a you'll have a bear study going on in West Texas now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I was aware of the study, but I don't know what you know how long they've been doing it or we need to look into that well don't you can't you tell us <laughs> <laughs> well it's not my study <laughs> <laughs> well you, you seem like you're more in tune with it than me uh i mean it, all the it's uh, not uh, that, that movie uh that he who may not be named put out uh the producer um Deep in the heart of Texas, all, oh, it, all it showed was oh, we're yeah. killing all the bears in West Texas. Oh, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That guy and I don't get along. I, I think we actually have a cease and desist against each other. Actually, I know <laughs> we do. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, his wife called all my sponsors when I said, uh, all I said was the truth. These This Texans from Mountain Lions group is trying to get mountain lion hunting altered and, I mean, in game. You don't come into Texas and say, you know what, we don't really manage them, but let's have a season and let's ban leg holds. And then, okay, I'm not an idiot. What is the evolution of that? <laughs> what is that? What is the next step? You're not going to be happy that, there. Oh, no, that's pretty obvious. Yeah, and so I said that, and then next thing you know, his wife emailed SCI, emailed every sponsor on my website, and said that I was defaming their family and responsible for threats made to them. And, I, well, my attorney was like, what did you say? And I just showed him the post. He goes, these people are off their effing rockers. Like, oh my I didn't goodness. lose a sponsor. I actually got letters of support from multiple sponsors. Um, yeah, but but that is the mindset of, you know, these people that, that want to protect predators in perpetuity. And then the bottom line is uh, all the wildlife loses, you know. Like, I saw a, a picture of uh, – this uh this guy who had trapped two wolves the other day and they were emaciated and then you know the caption was like well we we have way too many wolves and so now we have sick compromised individuals yeah for some reason or another when it comes to predator management the public is less accepting of predator hunting than it is ungulate hunting mm-hmm. and it, i guess deer are not as cute and cuddly as bears and mountain lions or, or just pr- you know wolves yeah you know in in the field we call them charismatic megafauna right. so Right. <laughs> you know, and yeah. people have a harder time wrapping their heads around. You, they have to be subjected to management as well. Yeah. You know, to 100%. keep their numbers where they need to be. It's the only way to get it done. Yeah. Well, and that's why we just have to continue with uh, fighting with facts and science. And, you know, there you go. Saying that you've got to put your emotion aside. So <laughs> success story in Louisiana. Uh, Absolutely. That's great. And, and. I appreciate Levi. Thanks for joining us today. And sure, absolutely. Sharing a little bit about your family experience, and it really is a great story. It it is absolutely when you can success. And that's awesome. It's generational. Yeah. Levi has kids now. He can bring them out there, and they can hunt bears. Yeah, uh, I got or three just look girls at the bears. Either way, they're probably not going to be doing much hunting. Yeah.
they're hey, now. Princessing, princesses and kitty cats and all that. So. Oh, that could change. You never know. Yeah, Buy him a pink know. gun. Yeah. Buy him a pink bow. Maybe so. My girls have a pink 243. They, that's right. They can wear hunter pink now. Yeah. Well, I appreciate y'all's time. Thank you so much. All right. It's good to reconnect. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. My pleasure. And nice to meet you, Levi. Yep. So there they go. SCI Foundation's Maria Davidson and Louisiana landowner Levi Madden. Uh, certainly appreciate them jumping on today. That segment of the show brought to you by Armasite. When the sun sets, adventure begins. Explore the dark side with Armasite's night vision and thermal optics where clarity meets excitement. Unleash the night. Embrace the extraordinary. Armasite, lighting up your adventures. Visit armasite.com for more information. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Levi and Maria, as well as our other guests today, Rachel Carey. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I'm going to move on.